Welcome everyone to the Analytic Mind podcast by Enterprise DNA. This is a podcast which dives into a range of different ideas and tips to empowering a data-led culture within organizations. We want you to develop the analytic mind to create immense value for yourself and your teams. Okay, welcome everyone to the Analytic Mind podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Wendy Zhang, who is the Director of Data Governance and Data Strategy at Sally May. So plenty of great stuff that I know that we can dive into that um, we haven't had uh, too much experience on the podcast before about. So, you know, things like data, data governance and data strategy are quite specific topics and I think to be to be able to get such a broad overview from you, Wendy, today around how you're implementing these sort of things at a large organization uh, is going to be really, really valuable. So why don't I um, just throw it to you and you can do a, a much better intro and uh, then we'll just um, go from there. Okay, thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Uh, hi, I'm Wendy. Um, I've been working in the data and analytics area for about 15 years, I would say. The way I like to describe my experience is like, the way I think about analytics at different stages of in terms of descriptive, predictive, and uh, um, prescriptive, right? So in the first few years of my experience working for the federal government, I was primarily focusing on data collection, validation, analysis, and insights. So that was, you know, in a lot of ways are very related to uh, descriptive in terms of business intelligence and dashboard reporting, which was used in the business decision-making. The uh, agency that I work include the U.S. Air Force and NASA, and also the Federal Reserve Board of Governments, which is the Central Bank of America, also a regulator. And from there, I transitioned into the predictive, predictive analytics, where I led an analytics team at Wells Fargo. That's like one of the largest banks in the U.S., where I'm really focusing on building end-to-end solutions to support the analytics team in the, throughout the entire modeling lifecycle. As of now, I'm the director of data governance. I'm more in focusing on the data strategies and building out the framework to facilitate both the analytics as well as some of the defensive strategies and just the effort to report to the, to the regulator. We're also regulated. And by education background and like, naturally a business person who transitioned into analytics, bachelor's in, 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 in economics and a master's in accounting. And then about six years ago, I got my second master's, which I promised myself will be the last master's in business analytics. So that's, you know, wow. you know not my experience. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Oh man, what an amazing career so far. What is involved in a master's of business analytics? I'm, I'm, I'm interested. That's a good question. Is like, we like you know, when you think about business analytics, it's pretty much like a bootstrapping, exposing us to everything possible. And, you know, on the more, more technical side, will be machine learning, AI, building out uh, statistical models, regression, and also be just being exposed to all the technologies and algorithms out there. And also, really touch on the very basics, but also sufficient in terms of doing predictive analytics in terms of statistics, you know? So we're not statisticians. We didn't come out of the program to uh, ready to become statisticians, but we knew enough statistics to judge our models, you know? So which is really important to understand when, especially in a lot of the time series forecasting, just the general statistical modeling. And then along with that, also focusing on 
that understanding a lot of the drivers and then the entire life cycle of the model building, not just like the technical aspects of that, but also uh, honing in on like uh, the business skills, you know, trying to not just like build a model, you know, that would be the end of the story, but also storytelling, you know, in terms of understanding the model assumptions or different algorithms and the data limitations, how can you address those in the uh, actual algorithms and how do you actually interpret your model results? So really very in-depth, you know, two years of two years of study that I always say that's one is not the it's not one of the hardest, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And you right. know, I when I look back, I don't regret it. But if I were to do that again, I would say no, thank you. <laughs> you know, but I did learn a lot, you know, everything that I'm doing today. It really is, um, I, have to, I have to thank for that two years of hard work and just like going to school and while working at the full time is, is pretty tough. But I also learned a lot and definitely very rewarding experience. Yeah, that's great. And what was, did you find that there was a lot of translation to the real world? So you, were, you spent a lot of time you know, with, your, with your studies, but mm-hmm. did could you immediately relate it to specific projects that you were working on within your organizations that you could see would add a lot of value? Yes and no. Uh, I would say yes, because we really, uh, the bootstrapping aspect of the program really exposed us to everything that was out there. You know, that being said, that was a few years ago, you keep having the technology really evolves really fast. You know, at the time, we're using Python and SAS and R, and now there are a few new programming languages I never heard of. So it's, it's, it's ready, but in terms of knowing enough to get your hands dirty, but also caveat by saying a lot of the data sets we use to build models in school, they're so clean, you know, compared to real life data sets. And right. it just like you, you would encounter a lot of more like a real and difficult challenges in your data quality. And, you know, we all know that in data science, you spend 80% of the time to clean the model. I mean, to clean the data before you can start building the model. So I think, and also I think by design in school, you would have a lot of uh, relatively clean data so you can focus on the more technical aspects of that. And a lot of learning after you come out of school will be understanding the data knowledge that you wouldn't have. You know, there's no way you could have before you start working for a company, very specific domain uh, knowledge and understanding the culture and also the, the uh, business model, right? So those are the things you couldn't have had, uh, even if you had a, like an internship, a practicum project, which, you know, speaking of which we actually like, my classmates and I, a group of five, we did a practicum project. We used real public data and it was one of the hardest models we built. You know, in the end, it was pretty successful, but it was also on a much smaller scale. So I would say in terms of the technical capabilities, yes, you can come out of school and then start building models and you know, be sufficient in a lot of tech- technical areas, but you do have to kind of just assimilate into your new environment understand the you know the mission of the company what kind of business problems you're going to solve you really do have to rely on a lot of people who have been there have more of the uh, domain knowledge you know than you do but other than that you know it's, it's pretty you know i would say it's really really beneficial uh, degree yeah mm-hmm. that's correct and just final question final thought and question on the education side of things because it's quite fascinating 
you know, one of the biggest trends I've found uh, in many discussions I've had in this podcast is this forever learning in the analytics space because things are moving so fast. And I would uh, be interested to get your perspective. Did that further education that you pursued, did it really just open your mind at what was possible and enable you to look at projects and implementation that you could do within an organization and with a different framework because you just had this exposure to different things you had exposure to different ways you could tackle analytics challenges and problems etc yeah absolutely i would say you know wholeheartedly 100 percent. like i don't think anything that i've been doing in the last five years would have been possible without that degree now mm-hmm. education can come in very various forms right it doesn't have to be a degree there are so many like online open courses like which I take a few uh, a year, you know, I never stop learning. So different mm-hmm. form of education, just that in terms of opening up, opening up your mind, just being exposed to that possibility. Like you don't really need to have a PhD in machine learning to understand everything that's going on nowadays. It mm-hmm. really, you know, it, 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 there's just so much resources out there. I always say you don't know what you don't know, right? So just like right now, expose yourself through, either a formal degree, you know, which is what I did, and I would recommend, but that's not the only way to do it. We're just like an online training and, you know, we're just like going to webinars and read up on machine learning and AI. It's just, there's the whole world of possibilities. If nothing else, even if people are not very interested in the technical aspects of that, it's still interesting to know like how, because because of the, the fact that the analytics affects us, every single day, you know, just like every one of us, right? If you have Alexa, you know, aren't you curious, like, how does Alexa work? You know, you don't need to actually think about like the design, you know, the active code of that. I was actually doing the AI for everyone course from engineering. You know, he is the, the one of the founders for Google Brain. And I just found it fascinating. And like, why is it Alexa can answer certain questions, but it can't tell you the meaning of life? You know, because it's not designed to, because, you know, for everything that you can ask Alexa is one of the, you know, you know, behind the scene, one of the, the programs that they already they wrote for that specific purpose. You know, so there are all these different functions, you know, so from that standpoint, I don't even need to know what kind of code, like what platform, you know, what, what kind of technology they use to do that. And how the was it like whole team? Where is it? You know, how did they hash it out? I don't really need to know the intricacies, you know, the, the technical details. But just knowing that, you know, it's just very fascinating. And it's not driving cars. You know, one, this is one of those things that mm-hmm. you know electric vehicles, right? Those things, if you think about it, is really gonna touch on all of our lives. And then I think I can't think of no other way than continuous education in whatever form that works for you, that really can really open up your mind and be exposed to that world of possibilities. Yeah, I love that. I love I love your thoughts on that. And 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 I, I think exactly the same way. And I really recommend this to anyone. I I, I focus on a you know specific thing with our business, but you know, in reality, I'm watching Udemy, I'm buying Udemy courses on machine learning, AI, mm-hmm. you know, advanced analytics, like just random topics that I don't actually do on a day-to-day basis, but it's just, I want to know, I want to, I want to be able to understand mm-hmm. what's going on out there. And I feel like it's kind of, you know, just, just a lot of things can culminate in your brain. And then one day something might 
pique, pique your interest and you'll be like, oh, I can, I can bring this new framework to solve that. And just by having, you know, you don't have to under, like I, I say this, you don't have to understand how to code in every single language that is out there. Like if you can just understand what languages are there, there's this, there's an entire universe of people who can actually do this stuff for you and bring their expertise in. And that can be the same in, in, in any organization for any individual. Like you don't, you don't have to do absolutely everything yourself and know how to code everything yourself, even though that is somewhat beneficial, but you know, just having a really solid, broad understanding of all the stuff is, 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 is crucial as, as anything anything else yeah. mm -hmm. absolutely and i think in this day and age especially for business people you know decision makers and leaders you know if you're responsible for any kind of business functions and processes it's just like knowing what's possible it can really really like break you out of the the normal way of thinking to think about what what else you know is there a better way to do this and just all the the innovations, you know, the, all the discoveries. It's it's something that if you really pay attention to, it can free you from the normal way of doing business and thinking. But the mindset it is one of those things, right? You know, the more you read about it, the more you understand. You know, uh, if you want to dive deep and understand the actual data, the modeling uh, algorithms, you know, by all means, go for that, right? So, but if you just want to know how things work. What are the new uh, breakthroughs and you know, how companies and what companies are doing what? You know, this is just like very fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, it's happening so fast. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many other ways. Like, there's YouTube. You can there's so many great channels on YouTube. There's there's Udemy. There's obviously like a lot of great blogging sites, email site like email subscriptions you can get. I mean, uh, books. They're just bringing all this knowledge together. Like, if it's something that interests you. Like I'm sure it does to both of us, you know, there's so much you can dive into. It's, 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 it's really, really quite interesting and quite, and it's super exciting because I feel like in the analytics space, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is that we're really at, at, a, at a, in a part of the, of organizations which are generating huge amounts of value. You know, this mm -hmm. is, this is where the, the real value drivers are coming from right now and in the, in, in, in the very near future is coming from mm -hmm. the analytics space you know, what you can do with machine learning, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it's going to keep going. You know, it's, yeah. it's not going to stop. No doubt, no doubt. Okay, jumping back to your current role, I'd love to just learn a little bit more about what are the things that you're doing day-to-day -day on the government side and the strategic side. So, you know, what, what are your, your, your main responsibilities uh, within your organization? Because it's, you know, you're, you're, pro you're sort of more... You've moved on from sort of the analyst side to someone who's sort of overseeing that. So, so what are the, the, the main things that you're so focused on on a, on a regular basis? Sure. It's, uh, in my mind, you know, it always comes back to data. You know, is that the algorithms and programming languages and you know, technology, it all matters. But it, at the end of the day, you know, the very first, first one is what kind of business are you trying, uh, problem are you trying to solve? The other one is how good is your data? So, you know, so I'm very... And I really believe you can address many of the data benefits of the effort a lot easier, and you're going to get much better results as well. So that's kind of what prompted me to, into like overseeing the analytic function in terms of like data governance and data strategy is really trying to drive a data-driven culture. You know, so the people talk about that a lot is I think there are so many components to that. And what I do nowadays is to really think about 
data as an asset to the organization and how are we gonna how are, are we using it and how do we want to use it so that's where the prescriptive uh, part comes in but how can that make it happen and something like i'm sure that's not just only unique to us is uh, that there is the defensive side is like we're still being regulated you know so there's the compliance of risk and then so we have to have defense defensive strategy which is very important you know to be compliant and the other side is the offensive and just think about how you know you can derive the most business value like how can you really utilize data as an asset i think of like defensive strategies like what you have to do and offensive is what you need to do you know to thrive and you know to as a business to succeed. So my my role is really just that it encompasses data strategy, governance, the management, quality, and all of that to establish the framework. But it's not just about policies and procedures. You know, I think the one of the hardest things in terms of building data-driven culture is the mindset. It's, it is a culture that has not adopted data-driven culture. That is a, like one of the biggest roadblocks. So it's identifying what's most important processes and then those, I, I like to call it where it hurts the most, but also, you know, that's still kind of defensive, but also where we can benefit the most. And that requires like taking a holistic view of your organization data. But I think this is true for any organization, like we just have so much data. And then people always use the term that like, you can't boil the ocean, right? So we can't possibly govern everything and nor would you want to so that's where you really want to but before you make that decision that you have you have to really understand your data really well what it is the, the history the lineage the structure the limitations you know and then you know how data is being used and then that will require a lot of internal discussions and collaboration with uh, a lot of different functions so in the like for probably very high level, that is what I do. But I like to think of myself just like trying to make great things happen, not just like policies and procedures, you know, because as I said, it really requires transformative effort for the entire organization to see things a certain way before we can succeed together. That's great. I, I love how you framed up some of those thoughts, like, you know, data as an asset, like looking at it as an asset, just like you would as you know, a building or um, your people, mm -hmm. you know, data is yeah. something that is sitting within every organization. And it is, if you, un if you utilize it correctly, it's just like, it's, it's almost like a raw material. It's like, it's like a, it's like a commodity. It's like getting minerals out of the ground. It's kind of like, you know, it's sitting there, right. You need to mine it mm -hmm. and then you need to then repurpose it or, Trying to trying to on sell it at a you know at, a, at an additional gain or or, or or get that higher value out of it. So I I love that and also the defensive and offensive. I haven't heard that before, but that's I, I guess that's quite specific to your your role and, and your 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 company. Mm -hmm. But I quite like it. It's you know bringing always bringing a sport and analogy into into the um, into the mix always always works well always sits well <laughs> with me. But yeah, so yeah, one of the things that that I'd like to dive into there is like. How do you identify and prioritize your assets, you know, your data assets? So, you know, data is everywhere. It's being created all the time. You know, all, you know every year there's the ability to, to extract more data, to organize it, et cetera, um, in a better mm -hmm. way. So how do you stay on top of that, but then also figure out, okay, what prioritizing should we be focusing on here? Like what is going to extract the most value or is going to, 
be the most beneficial for our regulators, et cetera. So, you know, I'd be interested to dive into that. Yeah, the, like, well, the way I think about it is it could be driven by many different things, you know, so there's obviously more than one way to look at it. It could be business process driven. You know, it, it could be like a cost center, like a profit driver driven. You know, it could be just driven by like mandate, you know, in, in, in some cases it could be regulatory mandate which is not the case for us. And, but there are like certain things like we do think about, right? So like comes back to defensive or offensive, then there are going to be some low hanging, which is important for us to pick, you know, especially at the very beginning of establishing a framework, which I've done a few times is like, I find value propositions really important that the very crucial component of getting people to change their mind is like to show them like to to show them what you can achieve especially in a very short period of time so i would say that in looking at data assets and you really have to take a a deep dive into understanding the company's processes like uh, very large organizations you know we're not that large at this point but I have worked for really, really large organizations where you think about it, it would take me like decades to do that, right? So that again, will come back to something like maybe from for us, like defensive strategies, like, is there anything that we would like to improve in our current process, right? Is there any pain point people to buy in? It's also important to establish us, uh, us as part of the, the business. You know, something that the analytics leaders often face is that we're often seen as a cost center. We don't derive, you know, revenue directly. So at the end of the day, like in good times, right, you know, when people want to feel like it, you know, they want to build up their analytics team, they want to have all the insights. But in bad times, right, where like funding is less than like last year, where the, the outlook is less than ideal, then they, we immediately, they think about cutting costs, right? So there's only that much you can do with revenue. There is that mindset. And I always try to make sure that we position ourselves as part of the uh, business process. You know, we're not just here, you know, whether as a governance um, uh, manager or analytics manager, you know, we're, we're not here to police you. You know, we're not here to implement unnecessary process like uh, processes procedures on you we're here to supplement what you're doing and we can make whatever you're doing like better faster more accurate more interpretable you know just like all holistically a better results so that's one thing you know so when like in terms of i think about data assets I also think like there are going to be some hidden opportunities where, you know, there are going to be low hanging fruit and which is important to pick them just to show your value early on. But there are also going to be hidden opportunities because if we, you know, again, come back, we don't know what we don't know, right? If we always do things the same way, then we're never going to improve and, and innovate. So I like to look at areas that are not usually drawing a lot of attention, you really think about like, if this is a connector to a lot of other processes, it may not be very obvious through um, on the surface, but once you take a deeper dive and understand all the intricacies and how all the processes and business components are intertwined, 
you can a lot of time find a very important connectors that are not on anybody's radar, but would absolutely bring a lot of value if you really dig into it. You know, those kind of things is there are, they do have some risk, you know, so you could like not know what you sign up for. So I, I always say that you proceed with caution, but if they do pay off, right, you know, if nothing else, it could be insights to supplement the existing processes and all the different components. But, you know, the best case scenario is actually you, you find something valuable and uh, a data asset that people never paid attention to before, and you can derive so much more business value out of it, then you're really a, a rock star, then it really adds a lot of credibility and it gives people faith. So that's mm. like uh, really important and, you know, just the, to succeed as a, a data function. Right. And I'd be interested to know what sort of technologies or processes that you have built uh, around understanding how the business is using their data or collecting their data. Is there, is there anything unique that, that you feel like you're doing well that could, you know, show, showcase to others how, how you can do this effectively? So a lot of the businesses will actually already have their own, say their own data systems and is more of understanding how the databases will work together. But in terms of data governance, you know, there are a lot of data governance tools that would uh, help you from start to finish, you know, from the very beginning data discovery to data quality validation, um, you know, to machine learning and AI capability to help you do that. So there are a lot of technologies out there, you know, some of the ones that are well known like Informatica and Clebra and Alation and then like big ID, you know, and along with that, there are a lot of machine learning ops as well. So, um, you know, Snowflake in terms of being the, the cloud option. And then, but also that a lot of technology, they are able to integrate with each other. You know, all of the ones that I mentioned, they are really high on the data management, like Quadrant, like Gartner put together. So those are the ones uh, depending, really depending on your specific needs and you really have a lot to choose from. But I will say like data governance, unless a, a company is brand new on the journey, is less about choosing the right tool because I think whichever tool you choose, it most likely is going to work with your existing like, infrastructure, like right, you know, your platform. And then most likely you've already figured out a certain ways to customize to make it work for you but it's more of tying all the pieces together you know so technology is an enabler mm -hmm. if you have deficiencies your data pipelines technology most likely is not going to fix that and you with discovering data qualities and then it you know think about like when we build like ai machine learning models like you we have supervised learning unsupervised learning you know, but now it's like even within supervised learning, it's really important to label the data. But there is now like self-supervised learning, right? So where you don't actually need people to label the data, it can label itself and then build models on itself, which again, it's just like fascinating, you know, just with all the new development. Mm. And I'd love to learn about an example of where you've implemented some of these AI and machine learning methodologies into certain processes. Is there any high level examples that you can give as to where you're seeing these, these analytics techniques add um, a lot of value? 
Um, yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that I mentioned that, that in terms of that to help with data quality, oftentimes when you have a lot of data and then like you want to uh, detect and, you know, cleanse your data in the data wrangling stage, this is where like machine learning and AI can actually help you do that. Instead of you doing, you doing that manually, then which traditionally has been a very uh, like manual process, right? In, in the supervised learning, you have to go in and label all the data. Say, for example, like this is not my specific example, but just, just here it is used a lot that traditionally when you want to detect like spam emails, that you actually have to go in and label them spam, not spam, 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 not spam, not spam, right? But now it's like the supervised learning is actually enabling that, especially in the in natural language processing, you know, text analytics, where instead of like people trying to label the sentences, you know, complete the sentences, the, the self-supervised learning can actually remove some words from the sentence and then, you know, label itself. You know, so that is a process where, like, you know, in terms of like data quality machine learning, it still depends so much on the actual label that we give to the data set. And with the, the, the model is only as good as the labels, you know, how accurate they are. But nowadays, it's just the, the breakthrough in, the, in this area can really re remove, I would say maybe not completely, but, you know, for the most part, remove the manual process and like do these things a lot faster, you know, a lot more accurate. Yeah, it seems like there's actually, there's a really interesting answer because I think when, when a lot of us think about analytics, they think of a dashboard, they think of a report, but the actual fact is that there's this whole data pipeline and machine learning can actually be plugged in at all of these mm -hmm. different parts of the, the pipeline. I mean, it can even be plugged in at the data capture part of the, of, of the pipeline. I mean, you can capture so much data through through voice now, through bots, through yeah. um, all, all those types of things. And so like if you break down the pipeline, you know, machine learning doesn't fit really, it doesn't sound like in one area, it's kind of like it can fit into all of these different segments to optimize the entire pipeline, you know, to, to automate a lot of the insights in the pipeline. And then ultimately, yes, you might get a, a, a KPI dashboard or you might get a report that has um, you know, insights that you can act on, you can make decisions, but it's been helped along the way, it's been optimized along the way quite significantly. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You summarized it perfectly. You said much better than I did. I think like traditionally, when we think about the machine learning process is like, okay, we get data, right? And then we start cleaning, we spend a lot of time data wrangling and then make it workable. And then we build models and, you know, and then you go through the whole process to choose the changing model using whatever criteria you deem adequate. And, and you know, the next step is uh, uh, interpretation, right? So it's like, how do you interpret the model results? And then after that, like depending on the, the, uh, the business problem you're trying to solve, you could like, you could be predicting like, you know, your revenue, you could be making a uh, decision whether to, you know, uh, allow the application, loan application to go through, you know, those kind of things. It's like, but nowadays that machine learning really has like kind of, instead of being in the middle, in the middle of the spectrum is like, is when everything has been said and done about the data. Now you have machine learning. It's actually machine learning is helping you clean the data, you know, help, help you label it, help you find, 
anomalies and deficiencies. So that that's where it's really is is like machine learning doing uh, whatever it does here, and then so that it can go through the the, the pipeline and get to the actual model building stage. That's mm-hmm. exactly you know what you summarized. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I, I like the I, I like the idea of a data pipeline. Is to not you know if we if we really want to expand the knowledge base in the analytics community, I think you've got to you've got to understand a bit more up and down the stack data pipeline. It's not just about, you know, running formula and, and creating charts. It's about, you know, just understanding how you can bring a lot of different attributes of the pipeline together. And that's how you're going to really successfully build quite quite valuable assets. You know, it's how you're going to really utilize your assets. I'm um, going back to what you mentioned earlier. Yeah, what, what, are, and what are some of the you know, governance is a, it sounds like is a big part of your role is what are some of the challenges around data governance that you are finding working with multiple different areas of, of, of a large organization? Sure. There are a lot of challenges in terms of data governance. And then I think one of the biggest ones is like for any organization to, to really implement a new framework is the mindset, you know, the culture. It's just like, it is one of those things that is very important. We spend, you know, unproportional amount of time to build out the foundation, the framework. And is and then the other part is, is also that like there are a lot of like competing priorities, right? You know, so you know when you think about all the data you have, you know, like I mentioned, every organization has so much data. How do you determine what to govern, right? And then how to govern it, and then how do you how do you derive value from that? You know, is that something you just have to do? You know, defensive strategy that because the regulator is going to ask for it, you know. So you do want to be compliant, but it's, it's not sufficient, right? So it's one of those things that, okay, uh, like I do what I have to do, but at the same time, how does that help me with the offensive strategy of uh, like deriving business value? So those things like, and then the approach, right? You know, do you start with everything or do you randomly pick something? And this ties back to your question of how to, uh, how to manage data as an asset. So there are a lot of um, careful planning and um, just like a collaboration that goes into it. But I also think is one of the challenges is like uh, coming back to mindset is like people think it's a project, right? You know, you have a start, you have a finish, you have deliverable, and then you're done. <laughs> so, and then and unbeknownst to them, it's just like, oh, we're never gonna be done. As long as your organization is here and you have data, you always, always have to govern that, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's the the mindset of that uh, we are. This is the destination that we can get to, instead of that this is the something that's going to add value to us. We're going to keep doing this as long as add value, and then you know then it comes back to that you have to do it correctly to add value. And how do you prove that? And then one of the very more practical challenges in data governance is that it is often siloed. You know, in a lot of organizations, you have very um, many different business components, and then they also have very different ways to look at data, right? So uh, as a business person, you know, from an accounting standpoint, and it's very understandable, and I think people should look at data from different perspectives, you know, slice and dice it however that fits your purpose. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to go from segregation to aggregation and have a single source of truth. I get asked this quite a bit because, you know, coming from the regulator is like we really advocate for a single source of truth. I always say that it is something that you need to have, but it doesn't have to be the only thing you have. You know, you can absolutely have multiple versions of truth 
as long as you have the ability to get to a single source of truth, it's not so much like why should I have it, it's more about why don't you have it, you know? So it's just like the, it's more revealing of the underlying processes, the deficiencies that you have in place that stop you from getting there. That's more uh, revealing of something that needs to be done. You know, having single source of truth is more than just uh, satisfying regulatory requirements. If your data is siloed, how do you have confidence in the business decisions that you're making? You know, silo data are inevitably lead, uh, leading to silo business decisions. You know, so that's those sort of things like, you know, data silo and then not understanding um, the uh, internal processes, you know, not knowing where to start and uh, starting too big, you know, we're starting too small. All of those are the like, very delicate say, approaches, you know, so it's something that will, nobody really has the complete like perfect answer, even for people who have done this for a long time, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. It's more of like, you have to find what works for you, your organization. And then you're probably not gonna succeed either one try. You're gonna get a lot of resistance. But at the end of the day, it's absolutely an effort like worthwhile. It's gonna pay off. Mm, that's great. And from your experience, what do you think works better from a governance and strategy point of view? Is it more a centralized or decentralized strategy? Uh, I think it depends. You know, I know that that sounds like a cop out, right? There's no one answer. Like, there's no one way that works for every single organization. And I talk to my fellow data leaders in the industry as well. You know, like generally, you really have to decide what works for you. If a centralized function works for you, you just have to make sure that all your individual components, like underneath that centralization, they still maintain their domain knowledge and then their individual practices, you know. So to make sure that nothing is lost, that you're not just like, summing up all the you know authorizations and practices and and the, uh, the usage of the data but on the other hand if if you decide and i i know some people have a, a stronger opinion about this like each individual line of business should have their own practices you know functions i can see that as well because you only you know your business the best but mm. at the end of the day your data architecture has to accommodate the segregation you know I don't wouldn't call that silo because silo will be there just like independent of each other, not communicating with, with each other, right? So, so segregation is fine if it's decentralized, but you just have to make sure that you go from segregation to aggregation. So at the top, and then you have a centralized function to bring everything together. So I think it's really something that companies that have to ask themselves, you know, what would work, what would make sense, and then it would absolutely take some trial and error and just trying different ways and to see what works for them. Hmm, nice, nice. Yeah, one thing from my experience I've seen is that um, you can you can very happily be decentralized, but you need some sort of centralized coordination. Mm-hmm. That would be the main thing that I've seen is that if everyone, if you just go for this full-on decentralized and everyone goes off and does kind of like their own thing, even though they know their business the best, mm-hmm. I just think you run into too many issues down the track when then there's just no coordination between everyone there's no commonality in how they're building things. There's no communication around what data sets they're using. You know, it can just become a little bit of a, a bit of a mess. And yeah, so it sounds like 
you know, it, it, it can vary. It can, it can totally vary and there can be like overlap. Like sometimes you can centralize some things because the assets probably deem that, mm-hmm. the data assets deem that, but in other areas, maybe not. I mean, uh, I, I think, yeah, there's, there's no perfect answer there, unfortunately, but it's, it's good to get your, your thoughts on it and certainly your advice because you've probably dealt with a number of different situations like, you know, just trying to figure that out, you know, as data has evolved and, and the importance of it has evolved. You know, a lot of this, a lot of this thinking and strategy implementation is uh, around implementation is evolving too right yeah yeah absolutely and i also like to add like it's not something that's like one and done is that in stone you know it's not like if we're centralized we're always going to be centralized or vice versa and things change right your business changes and then your data changes your processes and everything would change and technology like you can't think of anything that doesn't change and as your situation uh you know external or internal situations change you, know, you might find that one approach doesn't work for you anymore and there's nothing wrong with wanting from go from one way to the other and back and forth you know as long as you understand what you're doing what you're signing up for so you're not always just like flip-flopping right so it's, yeah. it's absolutely okay for things to change and for us to adjust accordingly yeah i really i really get the vibe from you that you're, you you come at things in quite a flexible mindset you're not, you're not fixed on this is how it's going to be. It's kind of like the things, things can happily evolve based on what you're dealing with, what you want to achieve. And yeah, I, I really, I really like the, the way that you sort of think about things. Sure. Um, I think that comes from the fact that I've worked across the different industries, you know, from nonprofit to the federal and then to the private, but even like within each sector, then, you know, working in a few different companies and organizations we're agencies and everybody does things differently, you know, so there's really no standardized way to do things, which is absolutely fine. You know, at the end of the day, you really have to do work, what works for your organization. Now we're, we're getting to the end here. We've, we've um, zoomed through our, our session. It's been, been so easy to talk about various different things here with you. An analogy, I, I use that all the time, just like even when I'm, you know, we obviously have a focus on Power BI with, with my business and, and that's even just in building a Power BI model. You, you know, so many, so many users to jump in and start creating visualization straight away, but you know, you've got to get things cleaned and set up well and, and yeah. to make your model effective. And um, you know, it's the same when you think about it from a more enterprise type level as well. Exactly, exactly the same thing. You know, the more you, the more cleaning and found your know, foundational work you can do down the stack, like in your data collection, your data cleaning, etc. The, the better it is going to be. The easier it is going to be to really extract and showcase the value. You know, right, right at the end of the chain. Yeah, yeah, and then it's so. Uh a lot of the foundational work is less glamorous, you know, but it's so fundamental, you know, that's why it's foundational work and so important. And then, you know, a lot of times it's, it's like so many people focusing on, are focusing on the algorithms, you know, the technology, which are absolutely important, but there are like so many other like components within the pipeline, the, the ecosystem that will lead up to it. And, you know, there's also a very important, like technology algorithm, they, they're great, but they can't solve all the problems. And, mm. you know, um, so the, those are the less glamorous, but absolutely crucial work that, you know, we need to do before we set um, ourselves up to utilize all the technology and al- algorithm can do for us. And it's only then 
then it would then be a complete life cycle, the, the ecosystem of the, the model building that the analytical effort then can get the maximum benefit. So yeah, I like to think of that thing. That's great. I think that's a, a brilliant point to end on. Why don't we wrap things up here, Wendy? We've, we've almost gone for, for an hour. So really enjoyed getting insights from yourself today. Really like how you frame up a lot of your thoughts around um, analytics uh, ideas and strategies. So you know, really appreciate your time. And I'm sure the listeners have got a lot out, out of our conversation today. Thank you. Um, I enjoyed uh, this discussion with you as well. Thanks for having me. That's great. That's great. Okay, everyone, thanks for tuning in. And uh, don't forget to subscribe uh, to The Analytic Minds on your favorite podcast listening app. And we also put this up on our YouTube channel as well. So so definitely, definitely subscribe there to listen to many more um, great discussions just like this one. Okay, take care, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in everyone. It's great to be connected and I hope you are enjoying the content we're creating through the Analytic Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this session, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of each episode as we release them. If you want to learn more about Enterprise DNA and the many initiatives we're working on, check out www.enterprisedna.co. There we have a range of resources to download events to attend, and information to explore. We're leading the charge around this new paradigm we're living in, where tools like Power BI can literally change how an organization manages, analyzes, and distributes insights that can make an impact. It's an exciting moment in the analytics space. So glad that you're on this journey with us. Take care.